Hello and welcome to another episode of the Revamp and Rebuild podcast. Today, I'm very privileged to have on the show Mr. Sean Alexander, who's the author of Sober on a Drunk Planet, which has been an incredible read and very, very insightful for myself, I'm sure a lot of other people. So I'm very much looking forward to having him on the show. Thank you very much. I just let him do a very, very brief introduction. So Sean, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, Sean, I live in uh, southwest London, um, former alcohol drug and gambling addict um bit of a car crash story um lost everything i used to work as a financial advisor um but combination of environment genetics um just the way that i was led me to enjoy drinking and taking drugs too much if i went out on a thursday i'd come back on a monday morning um barely got through the weeks yeah, barely got through the weeks, managed to not get sacked from any jobs, which was incredible. Um, and yeah, I'm five years sober in January. So um, it's been crazy. Like the, the change in just leaving out one substance, which was alcohol, then stop the drugs, stop the smoking, and then all the bad decisions that went with drinking or being drunk or being hung over and too depressed to do anything suddenly flip reversed. And I had all this newfound energy, um, learn, started learning a lot of things as well. So a lot of audibles, a lot of books. Um, and it was just like a complete 360, I guess. Um, and it's strange that I don't really remember much of the shit that I used to get up to because it's so alien from what I do now, where I wrote sober on a drunk planet, which is a book series. And then, um, yeah, I just produce books now. That's <laughs> my full-time job. It's um, pretty ep- epic 360, that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, people always say, oh, you, you, you've achieved so much in your sobriety. And I, I am a high-functioning addict. I, I definitely believe that um, in terms of if I put my energy into something and I enjoy it, whether that was drinking or producing books, I give it 110% every time. Um, but I much prefer producing books because it doesn't come with it. <laughs> as much stress or chaos attached to it. Well, it's, a good, it's a good thing to prefer, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, is, is Potentially, so I managed to turn my, my own life around through listening to other people and um, podcasts. Podcasts and Audible. Like, Audible books really my motivation for doing the books in the first place um, because I'm, I'm an auditory learner. So I tend to learn better when I listen to things. Um, and that's the thing. When I went to my first AA meeting, um, I had to, cause I was in rehab and they made us go. We, we were basically locked in a psychiatric unit for 28 days as part of the addiction program. Um, it's a long time. Then, yeah, I needed it though, to be fair. I had 17 years where I've been drinking and drugging pretty much every day. Um, and your mind is like a washing machine by the time you stop. Um, so it's just, I think it was exactly the right amount of time to process everything. Um, because not only that, you're not going to fix yourself in 28 days. You then have to go back out in the real world um, with all the stresses and strains that inevitably led you to drink in the first place. So rehab is more of a place where they break you down back to the bare bones again. 
and then they slowly build you up before quickly then chucking you back into the world. Um, and it is, it's quite scary, those initial days. But like, like I said, the, the, the main motivation was I listened to an AA meeting. Uh, or It was a Cocaine Anonymous meeting. And the is this when, was, you're in, when you're in rehab, sorry? Yeah, and the guy yeah. that was sharing um, was two years sober. Someone I went to school with, he was a bit of a nutter sort of stayed away from him and his family but um yeah it just showed the power of recovery the fact that i was sat there and i was thinking something's not right how's this guy sober and he was sharing so openly and honestly like completely different to how i knew him when i was at school um and it is through the power of listening to those stories within aa now now you've got a lot more options AA, Cocaine Anonymous, the, the Anonymous groups, Smart Recovery, Sober Communities as well. Um, but when people share openly about stuff and you relate to it, that can start a chain of events where you think, you know what, actually, I think I need to change this or that. Um, and then you might not change this or that for years and go through that horrible cycle of, I know I need to stop drinking, but, and then three years pass by, and then you might make the decision because you've had a drink driving incident, you've woke up in your own vomit again, or something again, like that. Key word, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what was the? I, I've read your book, but what what do you think was there? Was there a moment you said seventeen years of it, and a lot of that, I'm sure, was the environment you were in as well. But what was there a moment when you were like, okay, I need to, I need to, I need to make a change to this, or was it like a gradual thing where you're like? You know, what was it that made you decide that you need to you need to stop this now? I think when I was in, so I moved to South Africa, um, sold a house to pay off a load of drug debts. And with the money I'd left from that, I managed to pay off all my gambling debts as well. Um, so I still had a chunk of money left. And then went over there, I got involved with drugs, with gangs, all the stuff that a white middle class guy from England should not do. <laughs> Um, and then in South Africa. So I was in Cape Town, okay, um, nice. and I wasn't being—I I was in a bad place personally. But I had to escape from Cape Town because I found out through the grapevine at the local pub that people were trying to kidnap me. Which, to be honest, looking what? back at it, wasn't that surprising because I was this white English guy that was always at the pub, always doing drugs, um, always had money. And I was in an area that had loads of, um, oh, not shanty towns, but uh, whatever the name is for them. I know what they're called. I've been to that, but they're called. Um... Anyway, it will come to me. Yeah. But I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but they're, they're really poor people and word spreads quite quickly. So um, when I got wind of that, I literally just left in that day because I, I did feel the mood changing a bit with people, even though I wasn't in a particularly good place. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I'm not about to lose the rest of the last bit of money I had from a house sale that I had already spent all on drugs and uh, alcohol anyway. So I went down to the garden route just to play some golf. Um, it was a very strange place. My whole life was in tatters, but I was playing at some of the nicest courses in uh, South Africa. And that, that's sort of when I had the realisation. I was just on my own playing golf. I think I was on the third hole at Pinnacle Point Golf Course. I could see a tortoise. Um, <laughs> it's strange, like you, you remember things so vividly when you sort of have um, just a complete wake-up call. 
And I was like, I can't keep doing this. Um, but then I got home and I kept doing the same shit for another nine months. Um, got another job back in finance, which I always said I would never do. I mean, that is Why probably... did you take it then? Just, just because it was what you knew, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's as humans, we tend to do what's comfortable. Um, drinking, drugging, working in a job that I'd done before, the pay was all right. So that would fund my addiction still. Um, that's all sort of going on in a subconscious <laughs> yeah. uh, background. And yeah, went into it. It was high stress. I really don't like finance work. I mean, it's I was in pensions, so it was incredibly boring. Um, and yeah, I just stress kicked in. And then I got back into a really bad state, lost all the money, spent all the money that I had left over. And then I, I was... I was a financial advisor, well, or investment consultant, whatever. But I was earning good money, and I'd run out of money. I'd run out of money by the third of January. Um, I didn't even have enough money in the bank account to pay to get petrol. Uh, and it's just a really bizarre place I was in. I, I was suicidally depressed because I think it had been a long time. Um, with all drug dealers after me previously going bankrupt, gambling debts, banks chasing um, every day. I mean, banks are just horrible. When someone gets into debt, they have no, at the time, they had no real regard for what they might be going through. They only want to reclaim the money. So that was stressful. Relationships broken more than down. Stressful. Yeah, the relationship broken down with uh, the missus. So she left about a year previously. Um, so there, there was an awful lot going on. My mum my wasn't too well either. Um, and that all sort of piled on on top of the problems I had. Um, but then luckily, I managed to get into rehab on the 7th of January 2018 through private medical. Four, four days after the petrol incident, right? Yeah. So to be honest, it was a case of I'm going to be homeless. <laughs> uh, I am pretty fucked. I'm still doing loads of drugs. Um, I used to set up pension schemes and health benefits at companies, so I knew that private medical policies could potentially have a clause in there that would allow you to go to rehab. Luckily, I worked for a good company. They had a good PMI. Um, and then I got 28 days. I spoke to the ladies at Axel or wherever it was. Um, and that, that really saved my life from that point on. I'm very grateful for private medical insurance. It's the one thing that I now make sure that I've got for my own business. Um, and it, it gave me that bit of hope that I needed to have 28 days in rehab with some of the best um, addiction counsellors, um, nurses, psychologists, um, therapists, like you do art therapy, EMDR, um, trauma stuff as well. Um, and it's just, yeah, like rehab's brilliant. I walked in there and I felt like I was at the right place um, and all the chaos was outside of the walls and I wasn't allowed out, which was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, we really, really locked in there. I mean, that that's just an incredible, incredible story. And the fact that you managed to turn it around is insane. What what was the, what do you think was the biggest challenge for you? Maybe when you were coming out of here in terms of like, okay, it's like you said to me before we started the episode, you've got to face the, the real world again, right? What, yeah. What... I think, I think the biggest thing that played on my mind, and I think people can relate the thing that, is your biggest concern at that point is the thing that always keeps coming up. It's like if you do a meditation and the same thoughts keep coming up, but I was always battling in my head around friendships. Um, 
I felt like when I stopped drinking, all the invites stopped. When I did get invited, everyone was still doing drugs. They'd always say one thing, but then the actions didn't really match up to, well, the, their words didn't match up to their actions. And I think not drinking that commonality with those people that I've grown up with had disappeared. Um, it's not that they're bad people. Um, it's just that they're doing what they're doing. And I think it was the biggest realisation that I need to be more comfortable being on my own, first and foremost. I think loneliness is an art form. Um, <laughs> and like I, don't think, I don't think loneliness is, is a negative thing. I think it's a positive thing. If you're able to sit with yourself and be content with the world, that makes you in a really good place. Um, but I was having that headache about two years into my sobriety because my gut was telling me I need to just leave that group of people. Um, there's no point diving in and out. Um, you need to leave them, and it's difficult when you've known people. A hard decision, yeah. Yeah, you've known people your whole life, but you just. I just knew that my life was going in a different direction, um, and I just said to them, "Look, this is how it is. Sorry, but I'm doing this for my own mental health." Um, and it's still difficult. Like there's still things I think about to this day about decisions, but I know looking back. It was the right one um, because you you are your environment. You can't be around people that are doing things that might trigger you. Um, recovery is a selfish act of self-love, but it's almost the opposite of what everyone was doing before, people-pleasing. Drinking and drugging is very much uh, do what everyone else is doing. You take yourself out of the environments, then it becomes a lot easier not to drink and drug. For sure. How's your relationship with those people now? Are they still doing what they're doing? or? I, to be honest, I don't know. It's been years. Okay. Um, yeah, I've deleted off Facebook and everything just for my own peace of mind. Um, yes. But there's there's one one friend who we used to get on it all the time, like we were terrible. Um, <laughs> his marriage almost broke down. We went to a couple of meetings, but he was still very much in his addiction. Um and he's a year clean now. Um, That's good we, we haven't we haven't met up again yet, but it, it's good because he's he's done it on his own, um, and it's it's good when you see friends that you used to do a lot of things with that were counterintuitive. Um, yeah, it's really good to see when they're making positive inroads as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm sure it takes a lot of inspiration for, from yourself as well. But it can be because a lot a lot of people listen to this will maybe like want to stop drinking and I completely relate to what, what you're saying it's it's often what, what I found is kind of taking the easy option away when I was drinking and doing whatever it's just what everyone else is doing it's what I knew it kind of felt safe in a weird way and as soon as you start to to break away from that so what maybe advice would you give to someone who wants to give up but it's in terms of like facing those situations social situations what would you what did you do to get yourself through that obviously you removed yourself in the end which was obviously the right thing to do and hugely powerful, but would you recommend they, do, they can do anything else? Was it just getting clear on, on why they want to stop drinking? Yeah, I think like my, my situation's different. I, I had to break that for my own sanity, but people, if they want to give up drinking, I mean, I, I always say to people, like, worst case scenario, just don't go out. If you really want to make yourself feel better, <laughs> you've got all these years of conditioning that 
you've got a fight against and your brain is wired, all your neural pathways are wired to get triggered by uh, people, places and things that remind you of drinking. So if you're in the vicinity with friends that drink, you're more likely to drink. If you're in a pub compared to a library, you're more likely to drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, so there's nothing wrong with just taking a month out and just saying to people, no. I mean, the one thing I say all the time now is no. If there's, I don't feel like I need to do anything or please anyone. So I now say no a lot. But also, I don't get invited to anything anymore because I've said no a lot. But again, that is all sort of control of where you go, where you spend your time. Um, and then as time goes on and you start to build confidence in your sobriety, then start dipping into the pub for an hour. Um, because you'll probably find that once people have two drinks, their eyes get bigger. Yeah, saying. They start spitting when they're talking and they repeat themselves. The, the voice goes up as well, and it's just like, shit, was I really that annoying? <laughs> um, especially if they're around pubs. Pubs like drugs and alcohol, uh, they might as well just have a dealer at every bar. Um, but, but they do, right? <laughs> yeah, they do pretty much, to be fair. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. You just get a certain type of person throughout the evening is only going to get more annoying. Um, I've never known anyone in a pub get less annoying. No, don't think that's ever going to happen either. No. Yeah, so literally just build your confidence up. Like at the end of the day, taking a month or two out of your life, not to go anywhere and just go to the gym, read some books, it's not that big a percentage of what that could potentially do for the rest of your life. Um, it's like January. No one ever goes out in January. Just do January for like two, three months. Yeah, then you're laughing. That's nothing that's probably a few few of my friends did dry January this year and I was speaking to them when they're doing it and they're like, Yeah, I feel I feel great, I feel clarity back. And then it's oh, isn't it? back drinking. It's like, what? Yeah, and that's the thing, people follow what everyone else does. So that's the thing with dry January. It's not particularly I don't particularly think it's a good thing because um I think if you've got a problem with alcohol. You, you need to learn about it regardless of what month it is and stop when it becomes a problem. Not almost use dry January as a, oh, I'm going to change everything in January because it's too much. Um, saying I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to stop drinking, stop smoking, turn my life around, get a job that I enjoy. Like, there are too many things. Chase all your goals. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's it. Like, do goals smallly, do small goals steps to get to those small goals and then just build from there okay i love that and that's and obviously and you've gone on this this journey yourself and you said when you were playing golf um when you're in south africa was that when you really knew that you had a, a problem with alcohol i think a lot of people think they can just be in it and as you say like because they're just going with the crowd and i think i believe that most people who drink probably do have a bit of an issue it's all a spectrum right was that when did you knew when you were maybe even before yourself did you knew you have a, had a problem with it or was it just a case of just because that's what everyone else was doing type thing because that can be a hard thing for someone to accept about themselves yeah i think my you know what i probably thought i had a problem with drugs more than i did alcohol um it was only until i went together to... though, right <laughs> yeah but this is crazy isn't it it just shows you like the obsession with the planet that i didn't think alcohol was ever a problem but then when I got to rehab, we then went through all my past alcohol um, 
nights out university and I was a blackout drunk that if I hadn't taken cocaine, I wouldn't remember anything. I'd have done something horrible um, that I would have been reminded about the day after. That's all the worst thing up. in the world. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It, it was all the time, even up to the age of 31. Um, it never changed. I, I did it less often when I was on coke because that speeds up and metabolism yeah. breaks down um, the alcohol content, I think. But e- either way, it's not a healthy mix. Um, no, because, famously unhealthy, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to justify one over the other. But I was blinded to the fact that alcohol was ever a troublesome thing. But looking back, I, I went on a holiday on my own once and that was the worst thing I'd ever done. Because my inability to stop drinking, especially when I was nervous and uh, anxious about being in places, because I was always worried about what people thought. So alcohol was the easiest medication. It just goes your inhibitions, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But then I got blind drunk and anything can happen. I could run around a hotel naked or um, there's literally no control in how I react when I'm that drunk. Uh, which is scary, but it was never scary enough for me to do anything about it. And there's so many incidences um, getting into that state. But because everyone else sort of did it and everyone else found it funny, it never seemed that serious. That can be that can be dangerous in and of itself, right? It's that whole thing. It's like everyone thinks treat it as a joke the next day and actually, well, that could have gone really badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? I think like if you're in a group of people that do it, it's just not it's normalized. Um and there's is you, you realise as well, within groups there there's always a bit of a subconscious hierarchy as well. Um your best mates will subconsciously want to try and not look as bad as you. Um it's especially prevalent in male, alpha male circles, but that's ultimately what they're they're all trying to do is they, they want to look the best, they want to have the best job. Um, and that is something that alcohol, if you're not very confident, it just sort of fucks you up a bit, to be honest. Yeah, no, for, for sure. How, how do, you, do you, do you still feel that you get like that social anxiety now in terms of like groups, what people think of you, or do you think actually now that you stop drinking, you're actually a lot more confident in yourself and you feel less anxious in those situations? Yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely more confident as a person, but I think my confidence is really um, about, how healthy I feel so if I'm eating well and exercising which I was doing loads when I retrained as a PT um, then you get that glow that glow of confidence is natural um, and people feed off it as well but then on the flip side I've also from stopping the PT um, doing the publishing I'm sat down the diet was bad for six months um, weight is high. I mean, it's crazy how easy I can put weight on, and it is quite it's quite linked because my want to go out and be social um, is a lot less because I just don't feel as happy in myself, and that's just ebb and flows of life. Like I still don't feel like I want to pick up a drink or drug, um, but that is I know when I'm exercising and eating well, it's fucking obvious. You, you feel yeah. better. <laughs> Um, it it is always when you're doing it right it's like yeah but the penny's got to drop for each individual yeah and it's it's not an ego thing so you you notice a lot and probably you know this working in the PT industry as well that 
you get egos, egos that are inflated by how they look. But it's regardless of your ego, like your your health is your wealth and you should do exercise and eat well because you want to feel good about life. And that all stems from the gut. Um, and exercise improves the gut. <laughs> I mean, there's so much. Uh, the only reason I know that is because I've been doing loads of research for the. Yeah, well, I want to ask you about that, actually. <laughs> I sort of interluded into my own next book thing, didn't yeah. I? Um, yeah, but, but talk it, about, it makes, about your next book, actually. Yeah, but it makes sense because there, there's a whole. So within sobriety, you've got a lot of focus on sort of Alcoholics Anonymous, is a big focus. But then you've got newer people, sober curious people that will look at books like This Naked Mind that give them a logical structure to overcoming alcohol. But none of these books talk about gut health, what alcohol does to your microbiome, um, all the associated diseases, uh, leaky gut, irritable bowel syndrome, acid reflux, all the things that people have probably had at some point. Um, and the sort of long-term damage that that does if you don't understand about trying to get the right nutrients, vitamins and minerals, um, eating the right foods and trying to get that balance back within your gut. Because ultimately that has a massive impact on mood. So even post-alcohol, you could probably have too much sugar justifying it as a problem um, that's not as bad as alcohol. But at the end of the day, you're, you're robbing yourself of a chance of feeling a bit better, stabilising your mood, making better decisions, because the healthier and happier you are, the better decisions you tend to make. And then it sort of keeps you at that top level of feeling better about life. Because at the end of the day, people go through stresses and strains and you will feel low from time to time. You feel really ecstatic from time to time. Um, but good gut health is something that is underrated. Um, not enough people understand it and especially with all the minerals and vitamins that are depleted from alcohol you tend to find that people in recovery um, whether they're once a week drinkers or everyday drinkers will have those deficiencies that will manifest as low energy um, nausea and things that they think oh why am I still feeling like this three months after and I've given up alcohol you've got all these people saying they've lost 10 stone they've got the energy energy of a horse <laughs> um, but there's always people that are like I just don't feel like that and that is potentially down to their gut health and associated diseases that all stem from there right. well can I just ask because you've got you've got this new book coming out which I'm very very excited to read how did you become so like interested in this topic was it something that you just you noticed in yourself or was it because I know that see, there's a lot of serotonin kept in the gut which is to do with obviously your health and how you feel and what I love about what you're saying there is I think my gripe with the fitness industry is all about aesthetics and how you look whereas actually like what you just said health is wealth if you're just looking after yourself from that perspective you're going to make better decisions and you're going to have a happier life yeah so to be honest the, the whole premise of it's come from um I think food addiction was always my number one addiction and when I comfort it when I was younger that then stemmed into alcohol when I was 18 so Fast forward to 31, I then lost loads of weight when I got sober. I got a PT. Um, we worked on loads of stuff. So much so, I loved it. Turned into a PT. Um, and then I noticed, even when I was at my fittest, probably about a year ago, I was doing loads of Muay Thai um, nice. three times a week. And I noticed 
the change in my performance from and mood from eating whatever I wanted at weekends to sort of eating healthily by the end of the middle of the week. Um, and it was such a marked difference in how I felt that I sort of then started exploring in more detail about gut health and reading books, loads of books, loads of audibles, um, and just using my past experience of suffering with depression, um, looking at the brain-gut connection, and just seeing the wealth of research that's starting to come out now about how um, doctors are treating depression not with um, antidepressants so much, but with diet. Um, and how that has been such a missed um, trick because ultimately, I guess, pharmaceuticals want to make money. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, there's no money in just telling people the obvious, eat a balanced diet with the right vitamins and minerals in it, um, and that will sort of balance out your gut microbiome. No one wants to hear that, right? It's not sexy. It's not a new no. pill or something because they can't sell it. <laughs> so, yeah, no. it's, it's, a, it's a shame. And is, is there anything from your research and your book? Is there anything, are there any vitamins and minerals that people are like are most deficient in? Like, I assume people are deficient in pretty much everything, particularly their drinking. Yeah, so there, there's, there's loads, to be honest. I think thiamine um, is a B vitamin. Um, yeah. You've got folate and then iron as well. So, iron is more commonly associated and folate with anemia so if you're anemic you might feel tired or weak um, and they might give you iron tablets so iron's what um, is needed to help uh, produce red blood cells um, ultimately which then gives you energy um, without that alcohol also with the liver the liver's not able to um, do what it needs to do to be more efficient getting that the red blood cells around the body um, so things like that, you could potentially still have months, years afterwards if you've never um, looked at changing that imbalance. So gut health and gut microbiome, um, getting the right balance of bacteria. It's not about having only good bacteria, but you sort of need bad bacteria as well, um, within reason. And within it's reason. Of, <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's the thing. Like even. When, on nights out when you've drunk too much, like it's it's a gut reaction that your body knows is being poisoned. So the gut then responds because the gut doesn't want that in its system. So that's why you, you end up throwing up. Um, and it's things like that that you never really spend any time thinking about. No. That no one's ever really sat there and thought, how come I've got blind drunk so many times and I've thrown up all the time? <laughs> Because you, your body's literally trying to save you from dying um, because the body can't have that amount of poison in it. Um, and it's actually, when you look at things like that and you think, shit, <laughs> it's actually really scary. Like the, the truth about alcohol is um, it's there, it's, it's in black and white for everyone to see, but we're fed by other social media vehicles and TV and radio and papers from a young age that alcohol is a social fun thing to do it's what you do for fun anything it's like you said in your book you know weddings holidays any of that stuff it's funerals alcohol <laughs> yeah well yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 mind bending when, when you put it when you say it like that and it's so in, it's so ingrained which yes. is and that's it's a cultural thing that's why sober on a drunk planet is is pretty much looking at the 
whole thing from a sober perspective five years in and it still amazes me some of the stuff that you read about and you think oh, <laughs> how how do people do that how is that normal to them but um, everybody gets to their own point in life and some may never want want to change and some people say they want to change but don't change for five ten years um and yeah it's just such a it's such a powerful drug that people just don't understand until they actually give it up until you make that decision to give it up then you start to realize how much time and energy is devoted to alcohol yeah and and and, and therefore you know as a byproduct of that time and energy could be spent doing other things and that's the thing like you I think I put in uh, either the first book or the second book about the amount of time lost to hangovers. Yeah, that was, yeah said, that, that, that was that was bonkers. That was like half the year. Yeah, well, that I think that was me. I don't think everyone's as extreme. I think it said you you lose five years of your life to hangovers. Um, but That's I, a lot. I was definitely hungover for at least six months because <laughs> there, there there were very few times I remember going to work not being hungover. Um, and that's scary when you put all that energy and drive um, into something positive. It, it, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's crazy how much difference you can make. And plus, being hungover at work, especially when I was in the corporate world, you got like twenty. You're working on twenty percent battery. Um, you're walking around like a zombie. So when you then take alcohol out, you then just start getting a lot more efficient at everything. Yeah, for sure. And just, I mean, that is that's a it's a great way to to end this. And I would just like to ask you, if you don't mind, like, what would be for someone who's maybe a little bit on the fence at the moment about giving up alcohol? They've kind of maybe started to see the bad elements of it, but they're sitting on the fence. What would be your one bit of advice or guidance that you would potentially give that person? To yeah, I think just like you know, with PTing, accountability is so important to doing something getting outside your comfort zone, join the Sober on a Drunk Planet Facebook group or read books, start doing something to hold yourself accountable. Um, and yeah, or tell friends that you're doing it. Just don't leave it in your own head. Give yourself groups and things that you can get involved with that will encourage you. Um, it's like weight loss. If you want to lose weight, you need to be in groups of people that are losing weight um, because it makes it more motivating. Um, but yeah, just do it like it's crazy, isn't it? It's a bit of a cliche, but I've never met anyone that's ever regretted getting sober. Yes, there's people, including me, that have got sober before and then relapsed, but they will ultimately know all these people that do dry January. Yeah, I feel really great after dry January, but I'm going to go out and get pissed to celebrate. <laughs> they then start that cycle again. Imagine how you feel three, four years down the line of eating healthy, drinking well loads of water it yeah it just makes the whole alcohol thing a bit crazy when when you look at it but you've got you've got to express that you've got to experience yourself right <laughs> yeah exactly i think it's all well and true me saying this but until people take the first steps then um it's all part of the enjoying the journey i think if you enjoy the what is it you enjoy the journey then the results will look after themselves yeah it's a good question. You, yeah, you've got to enjoy the journey for sure, and not necessarily get obsessed with the with the outcome. But sure, honestly, thank you so so much for that. It's been absolutely golden. I just want you to just um, 
just uh, like to tell the listeners just the name of your new book and also the book um, the book that you've written just to let everyone know. Yeah, um, thanks for having me on as well. It's Sober on a Drunk Planet again. Um, Gut Health and Nutrition is the subtitle, but it, it, it will look at ways that you can help heal your gut um, from alcohol and also just live a bit healthier and happier. Perfect. And when's it when's it released? Have interest. So it'll be released eighth of May. It's on pre-sale on ebook at the moment. Um, and then it will be available paperback and hardcover from the 8th of May on Amazon. Awesome. Well, I very much look forward to reading that. If you haven't read Sean's first book as well, So on the Jump Planet, highly recommend you read that. Sean, thank you so much for your, for your time today. It's been absolutely epic. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Cheers.